0: Hi, it's Joanna Schaffner-Scott here. I am so excited to be with you today. Thank you for allowing me to join you in your day, no matter when you're listening. This season of the podcast is about leadership. I've invited guests to join me to talk about their leadership experiences, either in leading change themselves or moving organizational leaders toward change. In this episode, I want to talk about racial equity assessments, or also called equity audits. I'll explore when to use them, when not to, and what to do with the information they produce. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everybody, this is Joanna Schaffner-Scott, and you are listening to the Race in the Workplace podcast, a show for DEI organizational leaders that explores race, racism, and racial equity in the workplace. I am a racial equity consultant and founder of the Stanley Street Consulting Group, a consulting firm that specializes in partnering with organizations to help them meet their racial equity aspirations. My goal for you is to move your organization from being colorblind to equity-centered through sustainable step-by-step changes. Hi, it's Joanna Schaffner-Scott here, and I am host of the Race in the Workplace podcast. In this week's episode, I'd like to talk about equity assessments or equity audits. I have referred to the process using either term. And for clarity, I am referring to the measurement tools used to assess different aspects of organizations or companies. And from the data collected from these processes, one can draw specific conclusions about the experiences or the practices of organizations. According to the Society for Human Resource Management, the demand for racial equity audits has grown in the past couple years with an expectation of continued growth. In my own practice, I've also seen an uptick in requests for assessments, so that tracks with my experience as well. So when we're trying to position assessments in our thinking, think about it as holding up a mirror to your organization, okay? Okay. All right, so let's dig into it. And also, I have a little bit of a cold that I'm hoping won't impact the sound too badly. So stay with me, y'all. Stay with me. Okay, so digging into assessments, my firm uses a pretty standard process when we do this type of work for a client. And it includes surveys, focus groups, one to one interviews, all as ways to collect data, but also to center the staff and employee voice. That's a really critical part of this whole process for me, is to be sure that if we are asking staff and employees to spend their time to fill out a survey or participate in a focus group or an interview, that there is a payoff for that in the sense that their voices will be heard. So that's really important to me. In my opinion, assessments can offer a tremendous amount of information about the real goings on inside organizations because organizations tend to be one way on paper, but in real time and real life actually function in a very different way. So that the use of these kinds of tools can help bridge the disconnect between those two. Okay, so I want to talk about when to use assessments, when not to, and what to do with the data. Okay. All right. So first of all, let me say, I think assessments can be a strong addition to any part of an organization's racial equity journey. And I don't think there's a particular time that is better than other times to do this type of analysis. What really matters is that there is a plan for what to do with the results such that if there is a curiosity about differences in staff experience, then an assessment or audit can answer those types of questions. And in my experience, there is a gap between how leaders view an organization or company and how staff views their experiences within that organization or company. So there's often a disconnect. And now many things feed into it, into the disconnect. For example, differences in power, privilege, role, and longevity. All of those play a factor in the disconnect, in the existence of a disconnect. And so assessments can help unpack some of those dynamics and really pinpoint where the difference in experience is happening. Truthfully, organizational experiences are rarely the same. And even when there is a shared appreciation for the mission and values of an organization or a company, there can be differences in experience both by identity and of course by individuals so doing these kinds of audits can help you tease that out if you are leading an organization can help you tease that out a little bit so you can understand as i said the exact point of where differences are happening so i would say if you're curious about differences in staff experience that's the moment to do an assessment but only if Hear me good, (laughs) y'all. Only if there is a willingness and a commitment to take action on the results. And I cannot emphasize that enough. And I'll say it again. If you're curious about differences in staff experience, that's the moment to do an assessment. Only if there's a willingness and a commitment to take action on the results. Critically important. And I'll unpack that further as we go along. That's key. All right, here's an example. So let's say you're an HR executive for a mid-sized company with a dedicated chief DEI officer, and you've heard complaints from Black staff about being treated differently by certain managers when they request time off. Maybe there's pushback, or maybe there's a really specific request to adhere to the written policies, for example, that may not exist for other groups of people. I've seen this happen. And so let's say, HR executive, you're hearing these things. You're hearing these complaints or staff are coming to you directly with these kinds of complaints. So here's a place where an assessment can help clarify that problem. For one, it might be more widespread than you initially thought. And this is an instance where I would recommend adding a policy practice review to the assessment. In this case, The company may have written policies that are not being implemented equitably. And this happens all the time. Remember what I said at the top of the pod that there's a way that organizations and companies function the way they're supposed to function that's written on paper. And then there's a way that they actually function, which is everyday life. That happens all the time because often what's written is not what is practiced. In this example, my wonder would be, Where do you have established, written, clearly defined policies within your company with supportive systems? So think about that for a second. And I'll say it again. Where do you have established, written, clearly defined policies in your company with supportive systems? By supportive systems, I mean the processes and tools that enable a policy to be implemented. So for example, If you have a policy that requires staff to request leave at least two weeks before the leave date, what's the system that enables them to do that? Is it a Google spreadsheet? Is it an online benefits manager? Is it the company payroll system? How are people able to meet the requirements of that policy and get their leave approved in a timely way, if we're staying with this example? So those connected processes and tools make up supportive systems. And and does that information live in a public place that's easily accessible? All right. I asked this question about documented processes because anywhere you don't have documented processes are areas in your company where bias will thrive. If you don't have written processes, written policy, written systems, bias will thrive. And that could be why, if we're going all the way back to the example, that could be why Black staff were experiencing a difference in requesting leave. So this is where an assessment could be really helpful in terms of shedding light on what's really happening. Remember holding up that mirror. So in this example, a review of what's actually happening versus what's supposed to happen May uncover the the source of the difference in experience. It could also be that a different data collection strategy may be necessary. Surveys, in this case, may not be enough. Focus groups may be helpful here. People may feel more comfortable talking to another person about their experiences. Some people absolutely are more comfortable uh, talking to a person, other people are more comfortable filling out a survey, and leaving comments. So I think the best blend is both, but that's part of when we're doing this type of analysis, understanding that people are going to engage the instrument itself very differently. But again, only do this kind of assessment if there is a commitment to taking action on the results. Moving on to when not to do A racial equity assessment or racial equity audit. If the executive leadership is ambivalent about the process and certainly addressing the findings, then I would not recommend doing it. I would say take a hard pass. And here's why there's no coming back from an assessment that falls flat, where nothing happens afterwards. It feels like a waste of time and it's very demoralizing. So I would say this outcome should be avoided at all costs if possible. So at this point, the staff knows, the leaders know, the consultants know, and the data confirms where the problems actually are. And taking no action will create a difficult to near possible recovery. There is no coming back from it. So let me give a concrete example. It's like, Spending money and time to do a compensation study to determine if there are pay inequities within your organization or company. The executive leadership finds, after some analysis and data collection by a consultant, that there are wage gaps by role, but does not adjust salaries or pay in any way. Basically does nothing. So it's hard to come back from that because in that example, everybody's salaries are the same and now there's a well-known gap in earnings, nothing happens. So that's something I would encourage people to avoid if possible. Recently, I had a prospective client approach the firm about doing a rather large assessment of their equity practices This particular situation involved a large department in a very big organization. So I pressed the commitment of the executive team. So as we proceeded through the discovery process, the prospective client discovers that the buy-in isn't there. The resources were there. The buy-in was not. And so I suggested not moving forward. And I made that suggestion, not because I didn't want them as a client, of course I did, but I knew that if the executive leadership team wasn't fully bought into the process, then I could imagine also a lack of buy-in on the back end when the recommendations and the findings were ready that would devastate staff who were working so hard to make this happen. And so that's the other thing, like people lots of times will put a lot of hope into an assessment that the changes that they're looking for will happen. As an executive, you have to know that going into these kinds of processes and handle that with great care. So this is an example of when not moving forward is the best decision, in my opinion, this is not advice, but in my opinion, because doing so can damage staff morale and can it damage existing relationships. So in this case, the time, in my opinion, is better spent educating and building support for a future assessment. I think the timing was just not right there. And those resources are would have been better spent just building the buy-in and the goodwill around that piece of work. And with the understanding, yes, it's disappointing, but it's better to know and have clarity about the commitment at the beginning than it is to address the heartbreak at the end. Okay, so my last point for executive leadership, you've got to know what you're going to do with the findings. So a typical organizational assessment service from Stamy Street includes reviewing critical documents. It can include a policy and practice review, staff survey, and a report. And then depending on the needs of the client, we may add focus groups or one-to-one interviews. It depends on what the client chooses. But our team provides actionable data that guides the organization's equity path moving forward. And I like to do audits personally at the beginning of an engagement because the data from the process can help shape the rest of the engagement. It's incredibly powerful. One, if the timing's right, and two, if the willingness to commit to taking action is there. And so think about it like this. For me, once I know the specific pain points in an organization, I can direct particular solutions to help. At this point, we're not guessing anymore. We know what the challenges are. But therein lies the caveat to these kinds of assessments. It's knowing what the challenges are and not doing anything, as I've noted earlier. All of that said, I encourage executive leaders that if you're working with a consultant to perform an equity audit or an organizational assessment, only do so if you're prepared to implement the recommendations. Now, that doesn't mean you have to commit to implementing every single recommendation sight unseen. But what I'm saying here is, is that, not necessarily to, I'm not asking leaders to commit fully to a set of recommendations before the report is ready or before the findings are ready, but rather commit to taking an action to address the needs that emerge from the data collection process. Okay, that's probably the best way I could say that. All right, what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean to implement the findings? So I want to kind of walk you through three actions one is to implement a plan two is sequence the action and three is manage expectations so i'll unpack these one by one when i say implement a plan what i mean is to take whatever the written product of your assessment is and do something with it and it's up to the executive leadership to make time to work on the plan so as i noted an organizational assessment from stamy street will include a plan So now we're at this place where sequencing matters at this point, too, because you want to start with the area most important to staff. And I would bet that issue, whatever it is, the most important one is absolutely going to show up in the assessment. I don't even I have no doubt about that. And it's also important to acknowledge that in most organizations, people's plates are full. So what will come off people's plates so that this work can go on? And there's nothing organic here. There must be an intention and there must be time committed or it won't work. So that's my first meaning. So when I when I lift it up, what does it mean to implement the findings? The first step in implementing the findings is to implement a plan. I hope that's clear. (laughs) Number two is to sequence the action. So start with the most important issue, as I just said. What is it that the staff are most concerned with? Start there. And doing so will demonstrate that the executive leadership is serious about staff concerns. And as I said earlier, it places a certain amount of honor and respect on the feedback of staff that they've taken their time to participate in this process and that that time is being respected and honored. The third thing to do around implementing findings is to manage the expectations around the pace of change. So many times staff want their concerns addressed right now, today, right now. And understandably so, understandably so. But there are usually many considerations that influence the pace of change. So there's staff time, resources, and existing commitments. So it's important for leaders to manage the expectations around change in a way that help people understand that change isn't going to happen overnight that implementation of any recommended results from an audit is not going to be overnight but that there will be steady work done and progress made so that's important to keep in mind as i close out the episode i want to share that i have seen these assessments go really well meaning racial equity was centered in the process from the beginning with commitments to taking the recommendation seriously and dedicated staff time to work on post-assessment planning. This is one of the best possible outcomes. As I wrap up this episode, I want to leave you with an encouragement. It is so important to honor staff voice in these types of processes that it is a risk to be honest and it's time-consuming to participate in whatever the data collection tool is, and that if you ask a question of staff, be prepared to handle the response. And if you have the power to address someone's issue and resolve it, then do it, okay? So I wanted to share a little bit of my thoughts around racial equity assessments and equity audits, and I hope if you are considering this type of assessment for your organization that you will keep these thoughts in mind until next time take care that's this week's episode of race in the workplace don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with a friend who may be a dei professional who can use these strategies in their work my hope for the podcast is that it reaches every person who needs it